man, this is one of the nerdier conversations <laughs> I've ever been involved in. I expect this level of nerddom from you guys. <laughs> cool guys you know? we, we always deliver. Yeah. Good morning, and welcome to episode 382 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Uh, today we continue our trip from the bottom to the top of the Pakoda projected standings with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, later in the program, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will talk to Phil Miller of the Star Tribune. But right now, uh, we welcome longtime Twins blogger and, and writer for Hardball Talk at NBCSports.com and, and general man about Minnetonka, uh, Aaron Gleeman. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. Hey, how's it going, guys? Very well, thank you. Um, so uh, your your essay for uh, for the the baseball prospectus annual about the twins is at times optimistic and at times very depressing, uh, which is I guess there's a there's a mix of both of those things for twins fans right now. Uh, what fascinates me about them is how little turnover they have had and yet how much their fortunes have changed over the last several years, I suppose. So. How how is it that a, a an organization that is famous for really not not having any turnover uh, has such different results than it did for quite some time? Yeah, I mean that's sort of one thing I tried to explore a little bit in the essay and hopefully did an okay job. I'm not sure, but my sort of natural reaction to that question was kind of well, maybe stuff is just passed them by a little bit, and I don't know if that's fair or not. I mean, certainly they would tell you it hasn't, and I'm not you know insidery enough to truly know but I mean they're on Terry Ryan is now in his second stint as GM and he's certainly one of the oldest school longest tenured oldest just in terms of age GMs and Garden Hire is in his second decade as manager and like you said they you know they're so loyal they promote from within they haven't had much turnover and I just wonder have they not they've certainly dipped their toes more into the, whether you know you want to talk about analysis or sabermetric, whatever you want to call it, pool a little bit more, but certainly they are in the bottom third uh, at best, as far as I can tell. And I just wonder, have they slipped a little bit in terms of scouting and development? Maybe, but they're hurting themselves, I think, more and more relative to other teams as teams spend more resources and more manpower and just more energy on uh, exploring ways that they can, you know, find numbers-based stuff or just analysis-based stuff. I just wonder if the Twins have fallen more behind on that uh, than they ever were, and they certainly were not heavy on it ever. And I also just think they've had some bad luck in terms of injuries and a few decisions that have gone the wrong way. Yeah, so, so it, is it fair then to to look at the Twins of, of this year and the last few years and look at them as the answer to the question of, of how much damage one GM can do? Is it is it fair to sort of pin that all on the the Bill Smith era for for taking a team that had seemed to figure out how to win with a low payroll for years, and then all of a sudden the opposite of that is is it fair to to pin that on him? Yeah, I mean he certainly botched whether it's the Santana deal or the Garza for Delman Young or the JJ Hardy. I mean there were certainly a handful of pretty huge decisions that almost universally went horribly for them. And I just think when you evaluate GMs or front offices in general, there's more of a lag in terms of the impact of decisions than I think people maybe recognize. Or I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, call, I'll just speak for myself there. But I mean, all the time you see GMs fired and then a couple years later, the team is doing pretty well and no one seems to recognize that, well, actually some of these young guys were acquired by the old GM that everyone thought was terrible. But so the flip side to that is, yeah, I mean, you get 
you don't get anything for Santana and you trade away Garza for a guy who was a replacement level player and you do some other just incredibly bad big picture moves and you're going to have five years down the road where you're still feeling the effects of that. And then they drafted poorly. They had, uh, you know, some major injuries to some of the promising prospects, the few promising prospects from those drafts. And, you know, I don't know that Terry Ryan has done incredibly well since taking back over. I've questioned some of his moves. I don't think he's done terribly. Uh, I think actually his first off season back was pretty good where they had a big payoff with Josh Willingham and Ryan Domit was pretty good. And they did some low level moves that were pretty good. But yeah, I think, if you screw up so many moves in the big picture, it's going to have a huge impact four or five years down the road. And I just don't think Ryan, whether you know he was strapped in terms of payroll he could spend or resources he could devote, or if it's just not his personality, but he wasn't going to make the big moves necessary, the big risks necessary to turn that around in a hurry. And I think what we've seen, you combine that with some bad luck, and what we've seen is just some god-awful teams. So you read a lot more about the Twins than we do. You hear the way that they sort of talk about themselves and, and kind of when they consider themselves to be on message, you you hear what they're saying. So have you noticed a shift in the way that the Twins talk about themselves in the last couple of years in terms of what they stand for or you know what they consider Twins baseball or – um, is really like, you know, are like kind of the power arms coming up through the minors, that sort of thing? Or is that just sort of accidental? Uh, I think they've definitely made an effort on the power arms thing. Um, a lot of it, though, I think initially was like waiver claims and pretty low-level stuff that they were touting a little bit. Like they would acquire, uh, I don't know, Jim Hoey or Lester Oliveros, and they would go, here's some power arms that we're getting. But ultimately, they were kind of scrap heap guys. But they've certainly made a bigger effort. They drafted a bunch of hard-throwing college relievers and tried to turn them into starters, and that, I don't know, hasn't gone incredibly well yet, but it's still early. So I think they've definitely made an effort there. Uh, you know, the notion of Twins baseball, which is like, you know, don't beat yourself, be fundamentally strong. I actually think that's been eroding. I think that was really a Tom Kelly thing. And then like every year since then, it's eroded, you know, 3% or something like that to the point that, I mean, it would be hard to make an argument that they've been fundamentally sound over the last two or three years. But I don't know how many, you know, 90 lost teams are fundamentally sound or how many teams that have had so much replacement level or young, inexperienced talent that was pretty bad. It's hard to be fundamentally sound when you just have a bunch of, you know, terrible players. But the other thing, in terms of how they present themselves publicly, they've definitely made an effort to kind of say, hey, I know everybody thinks we, you know, don't do stat stuff, but here we have a stat head and we've hired a couple more guys. And they, they certainly try to put that out there publicly more than ever, I would say, over the last, you know, year or 18 months. But they are still pretty secretive in terms of, relative to other teams at least. Uh, they're not giving out any of that secret sauce stuff. They're not really their one main stat guy doesn't do really interviews. Um, I tried to get him on my podcast and he wouldn't do it and he won't really even talk to the local mainstream media. So they're secretive, but at the same time, once in a while we'll try to say, Hey, we are doing this stat stuff and you kind of have to take them for their word at it, I guess. So, um, Chris Jaffe in the manager comment of the chapter notes that Ron Gardenhire is, um, is sort of at the end of a, uh, at the end of a losing run that, basically no manager has ever survived. I think the only managers who have had a, a run this long, this bad, without being fired, uh, were all expansion era guys, or uh, sorry, expansion guys, guys who were for you know managing expansion teams, and I don't think any survived the fourth year of such a run. So um, what kind of hold does Garden Hire have uh, over Minnesota or over the front office? Like, what does he bring? 
Well, I mean, I think they value that. I mean, like we talked about earlier, they're they're just incredibly loyal. I mean, almost every front office guy originally started like in ticket sales or PR and everybody works their way up the chain. I mean, Gardenhire did it. He was on Tom Kelly's staff. Um, and I just think in general, they're uh, more conservative than other front offices in terms of big sweeping changes and taking risks and all that. But I mean, also, you know, you bring back Terry Ryan for a second stint and he is going to be incredibly loyal and he loves Ron Gardenhire and he kind of attaches himself to Gardenhire. Whatever their fate is going to be, they're going to do it together, uh, which isn't to say that Gardenhire, you know, if he loses another 95, he might get fired. But I really think if one of them is going to stick around, I think both of them will stick around. And if one of them is going to get fired, I think you might see Ryan step down as part of that. But yeah. And well, and the other thing is one of the few managers to have three seasons like that was Tom Kelly. Uh, and they had a terrible run, you know, after the world series in the nineties and they stuck with him. So it's, it, I think it's pretty clear that it's an organizational thing. I mean, when Kelly and Garnheyer are two of the few, you know, dozen managers who have had this type of run and they're both, you know, one guy in the nineties and then the guy who replaced him in the early two thousands. I think that says a lot about the twins overall uh, approach to it do you do you like this about the twins do fans generally like this loyalty or is uh is this annoying <laughs> well i mean i think when they're, they're playing decent it's something you can tout and they certainly have but it's an easy thing to point to when things start to fall apart it's easy to say well you know you need some outside voices which they really have not you know whether you talk about the coaching staff or the front office the guys they've brought in as sort of changes have either been coming up through their minors or like uh, they brought back Wayne Krivsky, who was a front office guy, then went to be the GM for the Reds uh, and didn't have a ton of success. And they brought him back. So even like the new voices that they bring in are not truly new voices. Uh, so, you know, when you lose a bunch of games, it's certainly easy to point to that as a thing where you would say, well, maybe they could use a guy from a more analytical organization or maybe they could use a truly new voice on the coaching staff. But that's just not something they're going to do. So uh, what what kind of confuses me about the strikeout rate thing, which you sort of touched on, is that there does seem to have been this shift where there have been some young guys acquired who don't really fit that traditional twins mold of the, the Brad Radke style pitcher. But at the same time, a lot of the major league acquisitions sort of have fit that mold. So you have, you know, the team acquiring guys like Meyer or whatever at the lower levels, and then you have the team also signing Kevin Correa or Mike Pelfrey or, or all these people at the same time. And it seems almost like there's a, a disconnect there in the, the kind of pitchers they want to go after. Is it that they think there's some sort of inefficiency with, with soft tossing types at the major league level where you, you get those guys for less than they're worth possibly? Or, I mean, what do you think the, the, the genesis of that philosophy is or, or the, the staying power of that philosophy is. I think it's possible they believe that, and that might even be true, but the one flaw to that, you know, if you want to say those types of guys, the guys who don't strike anybody out, are undervalued, I'm willing, that's plausible to me, but the problem is you need a decent defense, mm -hmm. and for a lot of years that was quote-unquote Twins baseball, but I mean, it's real hard to argue that they've had anything but a terrible defense uh, for the past two or three years. So it just kind of compounds itself. It becomes, you know, one issue on top of another. And it's tough to paint those guys as undervalued when you can't support them with, you know, the necessary defense behind them. Uh, I also think in terms of how we got here, how they became just the landing spot for the uh, Mike Pelfries of the world, it's weird because 
they've always really valued control pitchers. But like you said, with Radke, Radke had an okay strikeout rate, and you can point to, you know, like let's say Scott Baker as a more recent example. Mm-hmm. Baker is a guy who, you know, pounds the strike zone, doesn't walk anybody, but he still struck out, you know, seven, seven and a half guys per nine innings. And somewhere along the way, they kept a hold of the notion that everybody needs to pound the strike zone and not walk anybody. But they lost the idea of actually, well, let's miss a few bats. And then what you end up with is a whole staff full of Kevin Correa's. And I mean, yeah, like I wrote about in the essay, the strikeout numbers are just ridiculously low. It's not, I mean, even the next closest team to them over the past two or three years are hundreds of strikeouts away. It's just like a ridiculous thing. And yeah, they tout, you know, Alex Meyer and Cole Stewart and power arms they've had through some trades and some late draft picks and stuff. But yeah, like you said, the the front office major league level acquisitions have been not only not along the power arm uh, angle, but the lowest of the low strikeout rates. It'd be hard pressed to you know sign two or three starting pitchers who have lower strikeout rates. And even the guys they spent a ton of money on this offseason, which is Ricky Nolasco, Phil Hughes, they kind of talked at the time of the signings like, okay, we're adding some power arms here. We're adding some strikeout guys. But you know, Nolasco's a high 80s, low 90s guy with, you know, a mediocre strikeout rate. And Phil Hughes, I don't even think, has the raw stuff that maybe people remember as a prospect. So in any other context, those would be kind of low strikeout guys. You know, if the Tigers sign those guys, people would be going, that's a weird signing for the Tigers. But for the Twins, it's like they're like Justin Verlander compared to the rest of the Twins staff. <laughs> You, you mentioned that um, the defense has been quite poor, and one of the things that I, uh, you mentioned in the essay about the Twins' defense is that they have not uh, been one of the teams that has shifted, and that, in fact, they seem to have had a um, sort of a, uh, you know, a prejudice against it. They didn't think that it was a particularly, um, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know the adjective to describe, but it's not a strategy they favored, um, and uh, uh, that seems like it's going to change, right? It seems like they're saying that this year they... They might incorporate the shift. It looks like um, Paul Molitor is pro-shift. Um, so is that um, sort of telling in a larger sense that, I mean, it, it's a small thing, but um, it seems like sort of an obvious thing that they were not doing. Uh, so is it kind of telling about where they are as an organization right now? I think so. I mean, I think, first of all, when you just have that much losing, you become a little more open to new ideas. And then Molitor is a guy... People here, I mean, he's sort of a local hero. You know, he grew up here, played for the Gophers, uh, had a good, huge season with the Twins late in his career and all that. So people have been touting Molitor as either a manager in the waiting or just the guy they should add to the coaching staff, and they finally did it. There's been a lot of speculation about why it took this long. But, uh, yeah, I was encouraged. I think uh, Rhett Bollinger from MLB.com had a good interview with him where Molitor basically said, look, I'm not the biggest stat head in the world, but I'm open to these ideas. And my hope is that, you know, there's some uh, line drive hit right at a fielder somewhere in like the second game of the season and Garden Hire, maybe it clicks in his head like, oh, this is really useful um, and then places more emphasis on it. But, yeah, it's definitely encouraging. It shows, I think, that they're a little bit more open minded than they were. But, uh, yeah, I'm still I'm just skeptical in general when it comes to the twins implementing new ideas. So I'd sort of, you know, I want to see it before I buy into it. And what what were they? What was their opposition to the shift? I think it was just mostly, you know, the old school, hey, we know how to do it. And Gardenhire saying uh, not necessarily trusting it because it's new and he's unfamiliar with it. Uh, and just kind of saying, you know, I've been around baseball 30 years. I'm an infield, infielder from way back. And I know how to position these guys better than the, the numbers do. But, I, 
you know, I think I just saw an article with Clint Hurdle, who is certainly similar to Gardenhire, it seems, in overall demeanor and background and all that. But Clint Hurdle, that the, the front office was able to convince him how useful it is. And then he saw it in practice a lot of times and you saw the success with their pitching staff. So my hope is that, you know, you can teach a, a old dog new tricks, at least with this thing with Gardenhire. Uh, so what's your expectation or your your attitude toward the rest of the, the Joe Maurer deal in light of his position switch? Uh, I am, uh, well, it's funny health wise. I think people should be a little more scared than they are. The notion that just because he's moving out from behind the plate, he's going to be fine with concussions is kind of absurd. I think a, that's just not how brain injuries tend to work. And B, I mean, before Maurer got his concussion, Justin Morneau had huge concussion issues that sort of derailed his career and he was playing first base. I mean, he was running the bases when that happened. So I think the idea that he's going to be safe from that is, a little bit silly and probably wishful thinking, but I mean, if he can avoid more brain injury uh, problems, then I think there is plenty of, you know, reason to think. Not that he's going to add power. I think that's a little silly, just because his swing isn't tailored to be a guy who's going to hit 25, 30 homers. But I think he can wear down less down the stretch. Uh, he can hopefully be in the lineup a little bit more. And I actually think he's probably going to be a pretty good defensive first baseman, just from what we've seen and his athleticism and size and all that. But uh, if you're counting on Joe Maurer to uh, move out from behind the plate, get to first base and become a 30, 35 homer guy, that's just never going to happen. But if he can maybe add, you know, 5% of his production, uh, be in the lineup another 10, 15 games, he's not going to be the best first baseman in the league ever just because he lacks the power. But, you know, if you hit 340 and take a bunch of walks, you're going to be a really good first baseman. So I'm, uh, I don't know, cautiously optimistic about it, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you you spend a fair amount of time writing about the the farm system here, and understandably so. And you you look back at the history of teams that have had two top five ish prospects, as the Twins do in Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. And you talk about the Royals uh, farm system of a few years ago. And uh, taking all of that into account, what is your what is your realistic expectation, uh, or what do you hope to get out of the current uh, array of of twins prospects well it's a thing nobody and i'm a guy who uh loves reading about prospects and certainly with the twins you have to because otherwise you would just drive yourself crazy the last couple years but nobody likes to hear that oh you have two you know elite prospects odds are one of them will not be that great and you should be happy if one of them becomes great no one wants to hear that but just in terms of you know history and expected return i mean if byron buxton becomes an all-star center fielder and Miguel Sano becomes just kind of a mediocre guy who flames out after five years. We actually, you know, in terms of expected return, that's not that terrible. Uh, the problem then would be, it's going to be hard for the twins to, you know, become immediate contenders or prolonged contenders. If that happens, they're going to need more than one impact guy. But yeah, I think Buxton probably just based on the fact that he's everyone's number one prospect and, you know, everyone seems to think he's, pretty close to flawless at this point. The expectation with him, obviously, is not that he's going to become you know, Willie Mays, but that he's going to be a multi-time all-star, a guy you can really build around. Whereas I think Sano is a little bit more of a question mark just because he may not stick at third base, in which case his offense is going to have to be amazingly good for him to be a true you know, superstar player. And he's got some strikeout issues and some batting average issues in the low minors and all that. But uh, if I guess, you know, if he can hit 30 homers a year, it's going to be hard for him not to be a valuable player. But I guess I have more doubts about Sano becoming a true superstar. Mm-hmm. 
And and this is a team that went from I think the the top ten in payroll in 2011 to the bottom ten in payroll two years later. So I guess this is a team that would have some money to spend if some of these prospects start arriving and you have to start supplementing them with with veterans with free agents. The team will be able to do that, and the question would be more about whether they'll add the right guys more so than whether they'll be able to add anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's fine to wait around for the prospects to arrive, and certainly the Twins are as well stocked as any team right now, and you know, as any team in recent memory in terms of high upside guys who are sort of close to major league ready at least. But yeah, like you said, you're still relying on Terry Ryan and the same assistants in the front office, and you're still relying on this mostly the same major league coaching staff and manager to develop those players, which has been a little bit shaky in recent years. And then you're relying on them to supplement those guys with trades and free agency, which has been very shaky over the last two or three years or stretching back, I think, even further than that. So it's fine to wait around for the stud prospects to arrive, but you're not going to fill a 25-man roster with stud prospects. You still need to make better decisions than they've made in terms of evaluating veteran major league guys and in terms of acquiring uh, the type of impact you know, certainly pitchers that will actually help you instead of just kind of tread water, hopefully. So I definitely have doubts along those lines. Although, I mean, it's hard to not look like a genius if Byron Buxton comes up and is, you know, Mike Trout. And if Sano comes up and is Miguel Cabrera. And if Alex Meyer comes up and is a, you know, number one starter, it doesn't take much more than that to turn a team around. But yeah, I definitely have doubts. I mean, they're still the team that's signing Pelfrey and signing Correa and all that stuff. So I think it's fair to question uh, the wisdom of some of their moves and then extrapolating from that going forward, will they make the same type of decisions? And finally, uh, give us give us a prediction for win totals and, and standings in the AL Central. Uh, well, for the Twins, I think it will be not quite as ugly uh, as it has been, but I think it's probably going to be pretty ugly for another year. I don't think they're going to score a ton of runs. I think their pitching staff's going to be a, a whole lot better, but still really bad Uh, so i'd be surprised if they truly approached 500 i think the goal should be kind of not to fall apart like they have in august and september the last few years and just you know put a decent product on the field and hopefully call up some of the prospects but i i don't know i mean not that the white Sox are any great shakes or anything but I, i have a tough time imagining the twins not being the worst team in the division I heard a lot of words, but I didn't hear really a prediction. <laughs> oh, you want that? What do you want? One through? You want the whole division? <laughs> no, no, wins, wins. Give me wins. Just twins wins? Okay, I'll say, uh, boy, I'll say se- they're going to crack seventy wins. I think I'll say seventy-one wins. All, all right. right. Okay, that is very that is very specific. Thank you. Um, all right, so uh, you can follow Aaron at Aaron Gleeman on Twitter. You can listen to his podcast, Gleeman and the Geek. Uh, you can read his his baseball writing at Hardball Talk, and you can read his Twins-specific writing, of course, at AaronGleeman.com. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me, guys. And now Nick will talk to Phil Miller. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Phil Miller of the Star Tribune. How's it going, Phil? Going very well. How's things with you, Nick? It's going great. Excited to have you on the show. Uh, so one of the biggest stories from Minnesota's offseason was the announcement that Joe Maurer would begin playing second up first base full-time in order to avoid the toll that catching takes on a player as he ages. 
I put together some different scenarios using Pocota pro projections and sent them to you uh, that indicate that at very worst, the tw Twins would be about nine runs worse playing Mauer at first base compared to playing him at catcher. At best, they're close to breaking even. The main factors that make the difference um, include the number of games that Mauer would be projected to miss if he played catcher as opposed to first base, as well as the playing time that the Twins will give Josmiel Pinto, who flashed some impressive hitting skills in 2013 at AA and AAA and then in 21 games at the majors. Pakoda actually suggests that Pinto is a better player, especially on offense, than Kurt Suzuki, who Minnesota signed to a one-year deal. Do the Twins plan to get Pinto a significant amount of playing time, even after they spent $2.5 million to pick up Suzuki? It's going to be an interesting uh, question, one of the big questions of the spring. He is... He certainly looked ready last September. Uh, the Twins had some uh, questions about his defense, his footwork behind the plate. Mm -hmm. um, he was slow to uh, learn English. Uh, it took him a couple of years, so they they kind of think that that was kind of a setback in in uh, handling uh, pitching staff. Huh. So he might not be as advanced with that as uh, uh, they would like. And, you know, he's played, uh, even with spending September in the big leagues, he's still played less than 50 games um, above the double-A level in his career. So he's very young. So I, they signed Suzuki with the idea that he will be the regular catcher. And if Pinto can beat him out, that's fine. I would think that if it's close, uh, Pinto will probably open the season in triple-A um, because they just want to uh, get him at bats. They had such a bad experience with Aaron Hicks last year that they – don't want to uh, rush anyone uh, too quickly. We'll definitely see after after spring training if he'll be able to keep up the same type of performance that he showed. Again, it was over just just 21 games at the major league level and around 20 at AAA as well. Um, you mentioned Aaron Hicks, another guy who had a bit of a disappointing debut season was Oswaldo uh, Arcia, who flashed some above-average power, but he also struck out in over 30% of his plate appearances, only walked about 6% of the time. Uh, do they, he had a lot of trouble against breaking balls, especially as pitchers started to adapt to him later in the season. Uh, has, he, has he been working on that? Do, do the Twins think that he's going to be able to overcome those issues? He has. The reports on him have been good, uh, mm -hmm. although uh, he uh, played in uh, Venezuela this winter, uh, so... Uh, he uh, so it's a lot of game experience and uh, not as much uh, um, actual uh, working with uh, uh, daily with the coaches like you'll uh, get in the spring. But uh, yeah, it, it, the strikeouts became a problem. It got into his head a little bit, and I think they su were uh, surprised by that because he's always been a very confident kid. Uh, he's always been uh, very very sure of where that ball is going to go when he hits it, and uh, it got so bad. Uh, with strikeouts that uh, that even Ryan Gardenhire was uh, was uh, couldn't help but kind of make fun of him a little bit, uh, laughing at about how you know he looked like a cartoon character uh, screwing himself into the ground after some of the strikeouts. Uh, he um, you know he he just grabbed the bat handle even harder and swung even harder, um, just because you could tell that he was not used to uh, this uh, this rate of failure, and so it just fed on each other on itself and got worse and worse uh, until a couple times they had to kind of give him a mental break uh, just to get away from that. But, you know, he's still so young, and when he does connect, uh, he gets some of the longer bombs that you're going to see. He's a, right now he's a great 5 o'clock hitter because uh, he's, a, he's a great batting practice guy. 
Um, but they're but they're pretty confident that uh, it's it's all a matter of youth and just a matter of uh, of you know more experience. It's interesting to hear the the toll that the strikeouts took on him mentally. You're seeing uh, the strikeout rate increase across the across the board for major leaguers, and guys are starting to realize that it's not always such a big problem to strike out. But it seems like maybe that can that can affect a player if he's trying to develop. Um, Arcia had never struck out at, at that rate um, in the minors. He had, had struck out a little more than average, but never thirty percent. Yeah, he was clearly figured out by big league pitchers, and uh, and and Ward got around. Uh, um, and, and like you say, it's uh, it's trouble with the breaking ball, and, and it's it's something that uh, kind of surprised the Twins a little bit because it had been a I wouldn't say a problem, but maybe you know his weakness uh, coming up through the system. But uh, he'd always been able to overcome it with. Uh, just his uh, his approach, his confidence, and uh, when that was shaken, that was that was really the hard part. Uh, you know, the Twins struck out and struck out and struck out like uh, like just about nobody in history uh, last year. Uh, but but he was the guy that really kind of stuck to and really uh, uh, really kind of bothered him. Yeah, the only reason that the Twins weren't last in the league was that the Astros set a record for strikeout rate. They struck out over twenty five percent of the time. Yeah, it uh, it got it got pretty bad. Uh, it yeah. got to the point where uh, Ron Gardenhire was uh, pining for the days of a six four three, just to <laughs> but just to know his guys could still put it in play. Yeah, well, so they were twenty ninth in the in the league in strikeout rate on the hitting side, and then on the pitching side, their starting pitchers really struggled. Strike guys out, struck out four point nine batters per nine inning to full strikeout below the worst team, which was the Rockies. The same dis- they had the same distance between them and the Rockies as the Rockies and the 18th best strikeout st- staff, which was the Yankees. Um, and then the other thing they had a problem was was giving up home runs on the road. Their pitching staff was 16th in homers allowed at home, but they were dead last in homers allowed on the road. Uh, this offseason, they signed Phil Hughes and Ricky Velasco. Hughes is an interesting case because he's already been he's always been a fly ball pitcher, and he's had a lot of problems pitching at Yankee Stadium. He gave up almost twice as many home runs as he did on the road. Um, so neither guys are high strikeout rate strikeout guys compared to an average starter. But in 2013, they were both uh, struck out a full batter per inning better than any anyone who was starting on the Twins. Um, so the Twins signed Hughes to a three-year deal and Alaska to a four-year deal. So clearly they're planning on benefiting from those players when their top prospects start to rise to the majors in the next few years. So what do they expect from those guys now and in the future? And do those signings indicate any sort of change in the type of pitcher that the Twins are going to be targeting? Yeah, they've kind of come to the conclusion uh, that uh, they that they play in a good uh, pitcher's park. Uh, they like to talk about how fair the park is, and mm-hmm. the haters will tell you that that means the ball doesn't go out, uh, yeah. particularly to right field. Um, so they can afford to have some uh, fly ball pitchers. Uh, you know, and in Phil Hughes, they went to the extreme uh, to a, a fly ball pitcher. It will be interesting to see if they can uh, improve that on the road. Um, because that was problem, um, but you know I, I think they've kind of concluded that one of the formulas for winning in Target Field is going to be good outfield defense, and and you can afford to uh, give up some uh, fly balls. You know they had it with Denard Span and uh, Ben Revere, both of whom they traded uh, now more than a year ago. So uh, um, they kind of got away from that pattern, but they do hope that. Uh, um, Aaron Hicks and Byron Buxton eventually uh, will kind of give them that uh, that 
way to win and and hopefully enough uh, uh, outside the ballpark. You, you know, they signed Hughes and Nolasco to kind of be the one-two guys in the order, but, you know, I don't think anybody really expects those guys to be one and two when the uh, Twins, uh, you, you know, finish overhauling their rotation. Yeah, even if they're even if they're one and two now, they're not. They're definitely not going to be um, at that same place when guys like Alex Meyer come up. Uh, baseball prospectus prospect guru uh, Jason Parks he stated that the Twins have the best farm system in baseball uh, due to both their depth and their top talent, which includes Buxton and Meyer, who you mentioned, and then uh, Miguel Angel Sano, who has as much power as anyone in baseball. Um, so how, how, how high of a priority is it for the Twins to get some of those top guys into the majors this year? And are, any of their pl- are there any players who are more eager to see uh, the big leagues this year than, than others? Well, yeah, the Twins are an interesting team in that they have identified a, uh, a high upside prospect at every single position on the mm. diamond. They, they kind of know who is going to man those positions, you know, so they hope, so they project. Uh, three or four years down the road, and it's, it's uh, just a matter of uh, working them in. Uh, it will be interesting to watch how the Aaron Hicks experience uh, affects their thinking because it, you know the Twins were always known as a very patient team. They didn't even rush uh, Joe Maurer uh, to, the, uh, to uh, some extent. He was 20 when he came up, but uh, he, he had a couple of full seasons in the minor leagues. Uh, this year, um, they would like... Uh, it, it, but, but Hicks was such a failure last year. I mean, he, he, yeah. he struggled and struggled and struggled that, uh, that, that I think there's going to be some uh, bounce back, some concern over not pushing these guys. And, and like we were talking about Pinto... He looked ready for the major leagues in September, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It didn't surprise me at all that they signed another catcher and that, uh, that they're not ready for him. Um, it, it, as far as this year, yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to push everybody to the majors right away. Uh, you definitely get the impression that they would like Miguel Sano to, uh, if not start the season, certainly finish the season in Minnesota. Um, he is a third baseman. He is a uh, six foot. Four or five, 250-pound uh, third baseman. So whether or not he's a third baseman, he's a little error-prone, although he's been cutting down on that in the minors. Whether or not he's a major league third baseman playing for uh, a uh, kind of a glove man like Ron Gardenhire uh, at the, in the infield, that'll be interesting to see, too. But, uh, you know, he is the guy that they project there. Um, they uh, definitely would like Aaron Hicks to bounce back. Um they, uh, you know, Pinto is another guy. Uh, they, they have uh, not one but two uh, potential shortstops uh, in uh, Danny Santana and Jorge Polanco. Uh, they're, they're down the road. Santana's a lot closer mm-hmm. to the major leagues. But, but you know, in the big leagues, they have a lot of guys that they are kind of uh, good enough for now and uh, wait till the rest gets here. Uh, and uh, I, I think the biggest impact that the rookies might have would be the, in the pitching staff where they want Kyle Gibson to bounce back, where Alex Meyer and uh, and uh, maybe Trevor May could uh, could reach uh, Minnesota this year. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there anyone who has been less talked about than the, than the top guys who might make some appearances in 2014? Well, Eddie Rosario was uh, talked about for a while, and then uh, he failed a couple of drug tests. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was on track with Sano, uh, was promoted right along with Sano right through uh, the minor leagues, but uh, now he has to serve a 50-game suspension mm. for, uh, for uh, 
uh, failing a drug test this off season. That's uh, you know he was kind of a dark horse in uh, in getting to the major leagues because uh, while there are a lot of questions about his makeup and his approach, uh, it, you know he he doesn't seem as uh, as professional as uh, as the Twins had hoped um, as he matures. Uh, he, he there's no denying his bat speed. He's got a he's got a quick bat, and uh, they they don't have much doubt that he's a major league bat. But uh, he's going to kind of get left behind now. Uh, he's definitely an under the radar guy who uh, will return around Memorial Day and uh, probably can't make it to the big leagues this year now because of that. Uh, I would have given him uh, about a 50-50 shot uh, until he failed the drug test. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Phil. It's been great talking to you. And you as well, Nick. Uh, will I uh, see you at spring training? Unf- unfortunately not. I'm up in cold New York currently. All right. Well, uh, stay warm. Opening day is not that far off. All right. Thanks a lot, Phil. Okay, Nick. That was Phil Miller from the Star Tribune. You can read Phil's articles at startribune.com and follow him at Miller, S-T-R-I-B. Tomorrow I'll be speaking with Bruce Miles who writes about the Cubs at the Daily Herald and wrote the entry about the Cubs for the 2014 Baseball Prospectus Annual. Thanks for listening.